Welcome to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Our mission is to bring you discussions on a wide array of topics in the coaching world to grow players on and off the court. You can connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, and also reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Now, here's your host, Coach Mike Hernandez. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you guys so much for joining us here for another episode. Wherever in the world you are listening to us from, whatever platform you are listening to us on, as always, thank you guys so much for the support. Thank you for sharing this show around and really, really hoping that this uh, podcast in general has been serving you well this basketball season. And I definitely hope that this episode uh, serves you well as well, especially as we talk about a real important issue uh, when it comes to some coaching. uh, And that is the opportunities that we need to create as coaches in order to win close games. Uh, we we know that so many games, uh, you know, come down to the wire and come down to the end. And we're always looking as coaches to maximize those opportunities at the end of the game to make sure that uh, we're putting our players in the best position to win those close games. Because as we know, you know, that could be the difference between uh, a certain win loss record that we have on the season is how uh, we as coaches and how our pre- players perform uh, in those end of game situations in those end of game scenarios. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, uh, about some opportunities and the way that we as coaches can create some good opportunities uh, so that our team is in the best position to win those close games. So I definitely think this is one that that we're all going to get something out of and and do a little bit of reflecting on as coaches and, and think about our coaching practices. So to join me today, very happy to be joined by the boys basketball coach out there in Richland High School. Coach Brandon Sanders is joining us today. Coach, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for the invite. I'm excited as well just to be able to talk basketball and grow this basketball community to where it deserves to be. Absolutely, Coach. Let's go ahead and get started with uh, you and, and your journey. Where is the game of basketball taking you? Where's your coaching journey taking you? And and what were the steps that led you out to Richland High School? No, that's a very good question. Um, pretty much when I was in high school, most like everybody had dreams to be in the NBA. So <laughs> my senior year in high school, I'm sitting there and I see my classmates are, you know, getting offers or they are getting accepted to college. And one of my classmates asked me, where are you going? And that's when it really hit me is like, hey, I think I need to come up with a plan because I'm sitting here. I don't have any offers, not even starting on my basketball team. So I was able to a brochure that I saw from a university here in Mississippi and it had coaching on it. And I said, well, yes, that keeps me close to the game of basketball. And so I went to Jack State University, majored in health education and Started my basketball journey from there. I volunteered at our recreational league park here in Jackson. Uh, got some guys together, started a team that was kids 18 and, and under. And we didn't win any games, Coach. <laughs> uh, but I was just excited about the process. And so uh, when I graduated, I went back to my alma mater, uh, Merle High School, a rich tradition in basketball. And I spent three years there. It, it was exciting to, to be there. Uh, I had aspirations to be the head coach and had an opportunity, uh, but I learned at a very young age that uh, hiring process is different. It's not always what they say. They, they're doing their homework beforehand. And so yep. I, I didn't get that job, but I, I was, was kind of heard about it. But again, I understood the process. Uh, I, I went and took another assistant job at a, at a high school uh, in Germantown in Glustadt, Mississippi. And I got an opportunity to work with my former middle school coach. It was pretty cool to to have my middle school coach who was, of course, you know, the authority figure in my life. And then now we became partners in this. And so I spent four years there. And then I finally got an opportunity to be a head basketball coach in 2016 at, at Pisgah High School in Sand Hill, Mississippi. Small little 2A school. And the thing about it was amazing, Coach. When I saw the offer, it said basketball coach. So I'm, I'm a boys basketball coach at Harden principal called me. He said, well, coach, it's the job for girls and boys. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yes. And my initial process was like, well, I don't want to do both. But then I knew my brother was coming along, Justin, and he wanted an opportunity to coach. So I said, I'm going to take on both jobs. Uh, he's going to be my assistant. And then once he finishes up with school, I'm going to just give one team to him and we'll kind of blossom from there. And so we spent six years at Pisgah. Oh, nice. Um, and then this will be my first year at Richland High School. It, it was hard to leave Pisgah. Uh, Mr. Yates and Coach Granberry gave me a good opportunity 
Uh, but Richland presented um, a, a bigger challenge for me uh, going up from 2A to 4A. And so uh, I took that journey and I stepped out on faith and, and I'm at Richland High School now, excited to be a part of it and just trying to build on success uh, that I had at my previous school. I got to ask, how, how were you able to manage uh, coaching both boys and girls at the same time? That, that, sounds, <laughs> that sounds daunting to, to me personally. <laughs> Coach, it was a challenge, to be honest, because I <laughs> didn't know how I was going to do it because the part I left out, uh, we were also, I was the head girls coach, uh, also boys coach, and I also had to coach junior high as well. But I, I, my brother, Justin, he took on the junior high role, so I assisted him, and then he assisted me in high school. But, Coach, to be honest, man, I don't even know how we did it. Just the grace <laughs> of God, man, because it, it changes, man. And, and you know it, coaching girls, the boys, is different. And it's, you got two games back-to-back. -back, you got two scouting reports, two game plans, two film sessions, two stats, uh, filling in your stats. So it was a challenge. But, but to be honest, Coach, when I look back at it, the first – maybe first month, two, three months, it was a challenge. But after then, it just became like a normal routine and it just flowed. But it was a very, very challenging task, but we made it fun and um, I'm excited about it. I don't know if I ever do it again though, yeah. but uh, but it was exciting. But it, it was a challenge though. It, it created a lot of different things, but I was so fortunate and blessed to have Justin. And you know a coach is good to have somebody that you can trust and, and who, who better than my brother? He challenged me, he held me accountable and vice versa. And so that would really made it yeah, easy, man. God, that, that, blessed to have my brother. That's cool. Uh, there, there's some people out there listening who I think would love the opportunity to, to have that with their family members and others who are like, oh, no, I don't, I don't <laughs> want anything. To do, I don't want to coach with them. But that, I'm glad that it was a positive experience for you. Um, and as you went through in your journey, you know, you, you, you've moved around a bit and you, you've had um, a few different stops on your way to Richland. So as you kind of think about each of those stops that you've made, what sort of successes what sort of things have you taken from all of those previous stops and previous positions and how do you kind of take those and implement them uh right now where you're at at richland um, that's a very good question coach I, and you said and you hit it you hit the nail right on the head i try to take something from each spot um, the biggest thing I take from my when I first my first coach my first three years uh green fresh still learning the game um, I learned at at because at Merle High School, rich tradition. I learned just the competitive edge that you have to have every single day. Because when you're playing night in and night out against some of the best in of course in in our school district where I was coaching is an inner city of about eight public schools at that time. And so each game you played was almost like a rivalry because it was a city matchup. Each school was mm -hmm. about maybe ten to fifteen minutes. So I learned a competitive edge with that. Uh, when I went to and, and I applied it to where I'm at at Richland. When I went to Germantown, uh, Coach Gatlin, he really taught me how to learn how to handle the business side of it, on how to better communicate with your community leaders, uh, individuals in the in the neighborhood. It taught me how to be able to manage parents and talk to boosters. Uh, and then working at Pisgah, I learned how to be able to just manage a program fully and be able to learn and open up my. Uh, I guess my toolbox of trying different things when it comes to different zone packages, offensive packages, special teams, et cetera, et cetera. So I try to take all pieces of those and add it to where I am at Richland and help it to keep growing because every stop that I made, those things that I've learned that I didn't previously know before I got there, and I just try to build on each and every one because all of those are major assets that you need to just to be a successful high school coach. Um, and, and one day, hopefully, I continue to keep on moving in, and I'm looking forward to being a college coach one day. But I just, each phase I go to, I try to take something that's fundamental and then move it on with me and just continue to grow just a brand of basketball and grow my brand as a coach. Did you ever go through the process that that I and other guests that that I've talked to have been to, where you, where you look at where you're at now and you're like, oh man, I wish I could, uh, wish I could take some of some of that knowledge with me at my first stop. Oh, coach, man, who are you telling? <laughs> man, you learn so much. And and like I said earlier, when I first started coaching, I thought I knew about coaching, but you don't oh, yeah. realize how much you don't know until you get to a place where you may not have as much talent or you're building a program. On um, my first three years, the team that we had, they had the capability to make it to the state championship and win it that year. So I walked in. So you don't have to do as much, especially when you're in the system spot and you're just kind of, you know, plugging along to help the head coach. But when you get your own program and you may not be as talented and you got to start from ground zero, 
uh, it's definitely you say, man, I wish I would have known him just even half those things. It's 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 a it's it's a little bit humbling when you take that position. Like, oh, there's, there's a lot more involved in this. There's a lot more work I got to do, especially if you're rebuilding something from the ground up. That's for sure. Yes. Yes, indeed. So as we think about the the topic at hand about creating opportunities to win close games so i'll kind of start in a general sense so kind of in general terms if you had to kind of break it down into like the most important keys or the most important aspects that come to finishing out those close games what what do you think those are what do you think is most important when it comes to uh you know finishing and and, and winning those tight ones and, and as we talked earlier coach you, you hit it right on the head games are, are won and lost on very small plays, and there's a very small margin of error that you have to have when winning games. And so you really have to focus on the small things. And I know that's cliche, but it is true. Small things are going to lead to major success in anything that you do. And so a couple of things that, mm -hmm. that I think are just are, are important when it comes to just winning and finishing close games, um, I think offensive rebounds are very, very important. Um we take when I look at special teams, I address special teams just like the NFL, college football does it. Like when they're going for their field goal, those three points are major. So anytime that we have an opportunity to run a set play from our baseline out of bounds or sideline out of bounds, we we want to take advantage of it. We want to be able to create an opportunity where we we score, we get a foul. I think transition is very important um, because if you the easier and you know it, I'm not saying anything that most coaches on here don't know. If you can score before they set their defense, you mm -hmm. got a great opportunity to be successful. And then on the flip side of it, I really think that being able to take advantage of certain defensive possessions creates opportunities for you to be successful. And these are some of the kind of things that that I go by when I'm implementing my program because I, I know they're so important. And also taking charges. Charges also is a major thing. And the reason that I think these are important just to me, um, because in these last seven years that I've been coaching, I haven't had the, the most talented kids, haven't had the most athletic kids. And to be honest, Coach, my tallest guy in the past six to seven years, Coach, he's been about 6'4", may have been my tallest guy, and I only had him for one year. And so when you look at that, you could you look at it two ways. You can complain about it or you find a way to win, find a way to win, excuse me. So... I feel like these small things right here at the end of games or throughout the course of a game will help you beat teams that you're not quote unquote supposed to beat or help you be right in those games with the best teams in your conference division or even in the state. So you mentioned a few uh, offensive rebounding, uh, taking charges, mm -hmm. you know, taking advantage of situations before the defense gets set up. So if you think about mm -hmm. those sort of situations, how, how does, how do you kind of work those into a practice situation where not only you're you're working on on those skills but also working on them kind of in that pr environment where the kids kind of feel like it's a close game and you kind of simulate that close game environment how do you kind of work on those types of skills in in your practices well, what we do is obviously we drill those things every day. We work on offensive rebounds every day. We spend a section working on our on our special teams, as I call it. We spend time working on fast break, defensive schemes, et cetera, et cetera. And the way after we drill those things, every day, Coach, I, I practice on situation. Uh, mm -hmm. We do some type of situational uh, aspect of the game uh, because I just feel like those, those are so important. I know one of my coach, coach, coach Gatlin, he kind of taught me that when I was at Germantown is just working on situational basketball because when you, you, you can't simulate it a hundred percent, just like it's going to be in the game, but you can get very, very close. And so what we do is like, for example, I know today uh, at practice today, uh, I gave our starting lineup. Uh, they were down by 10, uh, four minutes left. I mean, eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. And let's find a way to win. And so we'll put small phases in there where we, I might get them together and say, hey, guys, we need to make sure we're crashing the board because we're going to need this to cut this lead down. And we get an opportunity to be able to perform the special teams or we get a chance to fast break. We got to take advantage of them. So we drill those situations every single day. I, I A lot of times I just come up with some on the spot. I may be watching an NBA game and saw something happen or watch a college game or even another high school game where I saw 
or situations with something that needs to be practiced. Uh, one that we go, one that we have went over, and now that I talk about it, we need to go over it again. I probably do that tomorrow. Now I think <laughs> about it, it is it, rebounding at the free throw line. You see so many games where the defense has an opportunity just to get the rebound and end the game, but a lot of times defensively, you take a bet, you take for granted that I'm going to box this guy out and you see the offensive guy just sneak in and get a rebound, lay it up in this game. And so I tell my guys, every time we get an opportunity, crash the boards because, and you know it, coach, and you, when, you, when you're around high school basketball in general, but just in basketball in general, some people just fail to box out. It's something they take for granted. So if you're actively fighting to get that rebound, you'll get a rebound. And so that's just an example of what we try to do every day. We just try to simulate as much as we can these small things because it's going to make a difference, Coach. Because, um, like, for example, we played a game about three weeks ago against a good buddy of mine, Coach Porter at Pilahatchee, and, Coach, the score was 36-34. Very low-scoring okay. game. That was low-scoring. <laughs> Very. But, Coach, I, I think about three things that helped us win that game. Coach, I remember three offensive rebounds that we got. Uh, two of them was roughly second, third quarter, but we won the game, Coach, on an offensive rebound tip-in. And one of my kids, he got a steal. He he went he went for a layup. He, you know how kids go, he's just, I don't know if I want to dunk it or lay it in. So he misses it. But we train our kids, follow the rebound. I mean, follow the fast break because he may miss it. Thank God my point guard ran down. He got the tip off the rim, laid it back in, and we won. And so those are just small things that we look back at it. If he doesn't run down and he just say, well, he's going to make it, we could easily go to overtime because he runs down, the, you know, what we drill every day, and he gets an offensive rebound, we walk out with the win, 36-34. So it's just those small things that I've seen over the years that makes a difference. So let me let me ask you, and I, I agree with rebound, and I've I've seen you know a lot. <laughs> I've I've been coaching, and I've 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 seen it on the sideline situations that you know coaches draw up, or, or they got sets they got in play, or or things that they're about to run, and then you know it all falls apart because they don't secure that rebounder, or that rebound yeah. slips through through their hands, and and you know all all that planning kind of seems to go to waste because that rebound wasn't secured, and <laughs> there's true. a lot of coaches who. You know, there's so much so much thought in particular about rebounding. And I want to get your thoughts about, you know, what goes into teaching rebound? You know, I hear coaches that talk about, you know, it's just, uh, you know, you know, it's hard over necessarily skill and others focus a lot on the techniques of things. So I want to ask about your approach to kind of teaching and refining, refining rebounding and, and helping your guys get better at it. What, what, what do you kind of work on with your guys? Coach, and that's a tough one. And to be honest, I, sometimes I feel like that's where I struggle as a coach is rebounding because now over the years with us being such a small team, we do struggle rebounding on the defensive end. But a lot of times we do do well. So what we just try to emphasize, Coach, we just try to – we practice it every day. And that's one thing I have improved with over the years. I didn't practice on rebounding every single day. Like I took, I took for granted. And that's what I said earlier, when you have so much talent, you have what you need to, to win championships. Sometimes you forget the basic fundamentals. And so when I got to a team where I didn't have as much, I realized that certain things I got to drill. And so that's the first thing we just, we do repetition every day, just mm -hmm. working on those different things. And we go through a lot of different drills from, um, just making contact first, making contact first on the guy and then sealing. Uh, we work on stationary rebounding. We we have something that we call like a sumo drill. We we put the basketball down. Um, it's, it's two guys. It's one guy in the front and one guy behind. We put the basketball uh, down and we tell the guy, and this we work on our hips and our feet. Mm -hmm. The I've guy from behind before, yeah. has to fight around. To yeah, try yeah, yeah. So yeah, we I've just seen do that. all. Yeah, and, and that's just something we do. We we, we do competition rebounding, two-on-two -two rebounding. We do one-on-one -on -one rebounding. We just talk about all different types of things in that manner of it. And, and three things that we, we try to enforce, uh, we tell them if you can, you get in front of the guy. If you get in front, it gives you a good chance. Uh, number two, if you can't get in front, try to get even. Try to get even with them. And then number three, we tell them you can box out on defense and offense because if you're just fighting for position, trying to get an offensive rebound, you might get it. And we tell them if you can just do those three things, uh, that'll give you an opportunity to get the rebound. But the biggest thing that we teach, Coach, and like I said earlier, when you don't have as much as other teams, it's just all about heart and just wanting to, wanting to have a want 
have a, a attitude to want to have the rebound. And so those are the things that we do. Again, coach, it may sound good how I'm talk how I'm <laughs> discussing it, but uh, we struggle with that sometimes. So rebounding is something that, I, that I'm constantly trying to grow. Uh, I, I listen to different coaches on how they emphasize rebound. Um, my brother, Justin, really put me on with Houston. Uh, they do a the, uh, University of Houston. They do a great job on offensive rebound. So I'm always trying to just pick up great things on how we can become better uh, defensively and offensively rebounding. But I don't think it's, it's, it's a one is one approach to it. I think it's multiple facets to it. Yeah, and I and I but I, I do agree though that I think a lot of it has to start with the 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 desire to want to rebound. And I yeah. think that that's kind of over over my years of coaching has kind of been like my foundation is like I think that in in maybe this applies to all basketball skills, but maybe I've just found with rebounding in particular, like I can teach, you know, all of the you know little finer points and, and all of the different things that go into it, but if your heart isn't into wanting to rebound, like it's it's not going to work out. But I think if your heart is into it and your desire to want to get better at, at rebounding, then I think once that foundation's there, there's a lot of growth that players can go through when they, when, when they start learning about the finer points into it. But I think that maybe more so than really any other basketball skill, that 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 heart and that desire has to be there first because it's 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 tough. But I think the players that buy into it, those are the ones who who are going to re really learn to become the best rebounders they can be. I totally agree. Coach, what are some things that you do defensively rebound or offensively? What are some things that you do drill-wise or skill-wise when you're working on rebounding? I mean, I've done. Uh, oh man, I mean, I've I've done. When it comes to teaching it, you know, one of the there's there's little little points that try to click with players. You know, and I've always talked to players about you know, good shooter. You know, they should be missing long, so you should be you know thinking to position yourself in that way for a shot to go long. I've told my players before that you know if if. I've had a couple players who it's really interesting, kind of the 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 concept or the idea of, of boxing out for for the girls didn't either. I, I felt like it wasn't one hundred percent clicking with them. so I, I kind of changed my verbiage a little bit and talked about them creating space, creating as much space for them to get that defensive rebound or get that offensive rebound. And the way you create that space, right, is to get, the other guy or the other girl as as far removed from your space as possible and for some reason for a couple couple players when i when i just referred to it as you know creating space or clearing space for your rebound it, it just sort of clicked for them and they realized oh like this bliss i got to get this player out of my space so i have as much room to get that rebound as possible um i've done drills you know, I'm 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 one of those people who I, I try to do as many drills as I possibly can in um, conjunction with other drills that I do. So I, I try to do as little in isolation as I possibly can. But I've done, you know, drills where you have six people in a circle, maybe three have one color jersey on and three have another jersey on. You know, you go and, you know, you you get the whoever, whatever team gets the rebound, then they're going three on three the other way into transition. I've done things like yeah. that. I've done shooting drills where... Uh, you have one girl who uh, is shooting and then the other two are rebounding and you can keep track of a score of how many get one rebound, you know, however, whatever way they you want to keep track of score for rebounding. But so I have a girl who shoots the two fight for a rebound, whoever gets that rebound kicks out to that shooter who goes up again and then it kind of goes in succession that way. So that way. You know, my girls can work on getting shots in rhythm while we can keep track of rebounding between the two who are, you know, rebounding in the pit, so to speak. Um, I'm sure there's others if I think a little bit more about it that I like to do, but uh, those are just a few off the top of my head. Hopefully any of that made sense to you. <laughs> oh, oh, no, it did, though. And I like what you said, and I think that helps a lot of coaches, too, is when you in a tight time. Uh, space you have to implement multiple things and when you when you said that it made me think about some like we, we have a two-on-two -two rebound that we do but it also leads to transition offense if the defensive team gets the rebound they push it down the floor on two on two so i, I think that's important uh what you said and i like the one you said about the shooting man i might have to get up with you and 
get that written down or get a video mm -hmm. clip of but i do i do like that uh it, it enforces shooting and outletting to shooters and, and that's a small thing that'll help you get a win because you see that especially during march madness time rebound comes off you kick it out to that shooter knock it down and that's game so i think that's a small way to get victories one little one too that i just remembered feel free if anyone wants to steal it no the players have a lot of fun with it it you know, it, it's kind of one of those, like, they, they have some fun with it, but they get the idea of it is if you have an inner circle and you have an outer circle, I like to do it with freeze, and you have the ball in the middle, so imagine you have the ball in the middle, and then you have an inner circle of three that's around the ball, and then you have an outer circle of three, uh, obviously outside of the inner circle, have the inner circle, you know, walk one direction around the ball and then have the outer circle walk the opposite direction out of uh, around the inner circle, blow your whistle and then have, you know, the inner circle try and box out for, you know, X amount of seconds and keep anyone from the outer circle from uh, getting to the ball. I like that one, too, because the inner circle doesn't necessarily know who it is that they're going to be boxing out. You kind of have to look at the person and box them out first, and everybody's got to find someone that they box out. So something like that is kind of fun, and, and the girls kind of get into it, too. I'm sure guys would, too. So that's another one that yeah. I like to do sometimes. That's pretty fun. Yeah, because you got to send that one to me. That sounds intriguing, especially with this generation. You got to keep them doing something. So Yeah, yeah. That's there we go. I yeah, like I, I, absolutely. And if anybody else who's listening, feel free to email basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. I'll, I'll hook you up or message me on Twitter. Uh, I'll, I'll hook you <laughs> up or try, try to get them filming it. I'll, I'll uh, put, a, put a demonstration or do it in practice and have, have them film it. If, they, if the, my girls know that, that I'm filming, they'll probably be scared. So I got to, gotta, <laughs> you know, secretly get catch them in the act of doing it and, and embarrass them later. No, I'm just kidding. Um, let me ask no. you, uh, I want to I know about, uh, real quickly, before I talk about offense, about charges. I have been looking for a while, and I don't know if I found something yet that I really like that teaches charges or taking charges offensively is that something that i mean i feel like you have to practice it is there is there something you do for that so charges is something that we we emphasize from day one we pretty much all from preseason during season postseason we just work on charges and kids are always what am i said not every kid but a lot of kids sometimes that i've seen over the past a little bit apprehensive about taking charges because the 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 idea of someone running into you is almost as fast as they can i gotta stand there and take that <laughs> that's a that's a little bit of mental uh challenge you gotta overcome but once we get them used to it, uh, it becomes it becomes second nature. They get super, super excited about it. And so we started from basics, and then we kind of build up and have a progression. A lot of our defensive drills that we do, we have them in a partner. So if it's mm -hmm. from closeouts, if it's from anything on def defense we do. So when they take charges, we just have one guy, he just – uh, gives his guy, give the other guy or his other teammate about five to ten you know, feet, and they just dribble at him. They stand there and take the charge, and the offensive guy picks them up, and they do it again. We let them go for about one minute, and then we rotate. So they're going to get in, they're going to, they do it correctly, they'll get anywhere between maybe 10 to 11 charges in a minute. And so what they pretty much gets them used to is the the concept of, okay, this is not so bad. Oh, it's not so bad. And then we grow from there. Then we put it in game-like situations where we have a guy come in. Everybody's done this before. You got a guy dribbling down the lane. You beat him to the spot. You take the charge. Boom. And so we do it in that manner. of. And then we build. As we get closer to the season, we have a competition. We may allow him to come down the floor, maybe three on three or four on four, or maybe five on five is rare. And the first scene of draws, two charges. Uh, is the winner for that one, Tina doesn't have sprints. So we just make that a part of it. I got this from Justin, of course, you know, my, my, my brother. Um, he started to give him a little incentive. And, again, my brother's a little bit younger than me. So, again, I'm – and it's not much. I'm he, I'm 35. He's 32. So <laughs> – but he, he reminds me that, hey, you know, these kids are not always like how we grew up, so you got to give them something. So my brother will give them incentives. He may buy them something, whoever has the most charges for this game. And so then it became a competition. 
Um, then I, I borrowed this, I believe it's from Arkansas. Uh, every time, I think it's from the women's program. Every time you get a charge, your name, uh, I think they post a picture mm -hmm. uh, on their locker room wall. But what we do is we, we got a charge wall, kind of similar to what they like, do. And when you yeah. get charges, we have a competition. So the guys look in there, I know we have our senior point guard and it's, it's crazy because I want him to work so much harder, but he leads our team in charges and it's really not even close. He's probably right now probably close to about 20 charges on the season. And the next guy that's close to him is probably like at five. Oh, and man. so there's, yeah. there's super competition that we build. So we just get them to be able to see it. And then when they get a charge, we tell everybody on the bench, uh, hopefully we can get our fans more involved. They get a charge, let's celebrate like we won a million dollars. And so then it just becomes a thing. And so, that's kind of how we do it. We, we let them know that's important. It's a part of our program, a part of our brand. And, and that's what we do. We just try to do it every day. Now, some days we do skip because, again, it's, it's enough grind <laughs> on the body throughout the season. So yeah. taking charges every day, becomes, but we, we want to get so accustomed to it that they just used to it. But we do give them a couple of days in between because, again, we're just trying to protect the body as much as possible. Yeah, I, I've always loved when, like, you see the bench just, like, erupt after a charge and, you know, like, they get so into it. I think that that kind of buy-in is really one of the – maybe one of the better ways to get people, you know, to want to take charges when you got your bench and everyone just celebrating like they just dunked on somebody. I think it's the coolest thing yes. to see the, bunk, <laughs> the bench erupt after a charge. And that's yes. And those are big momentum changers, too. Those are huge. You know, get get it that really charge is. in, especially on like one a breakaway or something like that, and then they're just going the mm -hmm. other way. Like that's that that could that could help you win like a close game, exactly. Like which is why you practice it probably. Yeah, I was just about to say that, coach, because again, my center is about six two, coach. So we're a very rough small team, and so coach, a lot of teams try to take advantage of us by maybe driving downhill, trying to post up, and when we can get a couple charges, that helps us so that helps us mm -hmm. so much defensively which almost allows us to play like we're six four, six five, because now they're so apprehensive of going into that pain or trying to take advantage of us inside because, oh, no, we know that they're going to take charges. So I agree. That's one of those small things that we have to do just to give us a, a chance to win. And again, Coach, that takes no real skill. It just takes heart. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And the, the mentality to be willing to take it, right? The, you got you to gotta just yes. you know, be, be out there and – be able to be able to want to take one, a, a charge, kind of like of getting a rebound. No, I agree. All right, on the offensive end, coach, what what are we looking at to do? What kind of offensive action do you think it's best uh, for you in those close games? Or, or do you do you stick with kind of the offensive philosophy that you've used throughout the game, or, or do you kind of switch things up and you know quick hitters and different sets? What are you kind of looking for as the game gets close and you need a bucket? I think it's a combination of both, Coach. A lot of it, I think that's the game of basketball. A lot of times when you get down to the crunch time on the last four minutes in the fourth quarter, a lot of times you end up going into your isolation package. And then, of course, sometimes you got an opportunity to run a good set play you can. Uh, so at, at that point of the game, we're trying to um, – we're trying to get the ball to our best player or our best score and put them in some type of isolation. And what we do, of course, we don't we don't necessarily stand out front and say ISO, ISO. We try to we, – we'll run some type of set, but in the end, it's all going to end into some type of isolation. So during that time, if we got a guy that got a hot hand or we know we got a guy that's just unstoppable, we just put him in different isolation sets. Uh, to be able to take advantage in some form or fashion. If we get an opportunity and we know we got a couple of good sets that we run, uh, we'll definitely, especially if it's coming out of a timeout, and as I said earlier, you already know if anybody plays us baseline out of bounds or sideline out of bounds, we're coming with some set uh, because we're going to take advantage of that. Um, but that's kind of what we do. But one of the main things that we do is just, if you're talking about just the end of the game, dribble handoffs. Dribble handoffs are hard to guard. Um, and what we do, we try to run them early in the game so we can kind of get a, a sense of how they're guarding the dribble handoff. And if, if a team hasn't actively worked on how to defend a dribble handoff, you're going to eventually uh, find some opportunity uh, to be able to score it. And so anybody who knows us that plays us, if you're going to play us, you got to be able to have a solid foundation on how you're going to handle the dribble handoff. Um, and when we go through scenarios, if they switch it, and that's that's kind of what we do with us having so many guards. If you switch a big onto us, we're gonna take advantage of that, which creates isolation. Uh, if you try to stay with it, 
you know, eventually one defensive player is going to be late on the switch or, or late on the handoff, excuse me, and we'll be able to turn that corner, squeeze in that gap and score. So that's just a um, a couple of things that we do when we're just trying to create advantage. We don't make it super, super complicated. We just drill those different things to take advantage of those. So we have a couple of set plays that we run uh, in, in in those current crunch minutes. Uh, we don't try to do too much. Uh, if it's just a simple isolation where we just need to go get a bucket, we have those set in play too. So it's just determined by who we playing, who has the field, and then on, on what type of defense they're playing. Because uh, sometimes, obviously, when the games get tight, you see most teams go to man-to-man. But sometimes, you know, they may go to a zone. So you got to be prepared for that as well. Yeah, I think I think the idea, though, like you said, is really important that it's something that you've drilled and that you've practiced. Because I know in my experience, I cannot – you know, try and draw something new out of a timeout that my girls have never worked on before. If I try to do that, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's not going to get run well at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. And, and again, I was, again, I, I keep missing it, but I, my brother blessed me a lot uh, because he was over special teams. And so mm-hmm. that would probably be the only thing that him and I would just really have any type of conflict over is that I would be so hard and demanding, hey, we have to score. So that <laughs> gave me a... <laughs> A breather. He every every baseline of bounce sideline. He called them. He drilled them with the kids every day. Uh, and, and we borrow a lot from sports. We didn't yell to play out loud. We kind of like football, baseball. Everything's on a hand signal. And so, and he drilled them because he was like, "Man, coaches getting on me. Y'all have to do this." And so that helped us out a lot. <laughs> no, I, I like that a lot. So, so what's the what's the balance for you as a coach as you think about? Um, giving your players kind of the freedom to go to, to create an opportunity for themselves versus, you know, drawing up something that is kind of a set that needs to be run a specific way. How do you kind of decide for you as a coach, like which one is going to be best uh, for your guys at the end of a close game? Coach, that's a great question. My, My assistant coach now, Coach Bridges and I, we talk about that all the time because we are, we are in the process where we're trying to get our kids to, to know what's a good shot and, and what's not a good shot and when to drive and things of that nature. Uh, and, and that's tough, but it's really based on your team. Uh, I know now uh, this year with this being my first year with these group of kids, and, of course, they were coached well by the previous coach, Coach Taylor. Uh, it's just getting them used to playing and picking their spots when needed. So right now I would probably say now it's probably more of, of, of Coach Bridges and I maybe – putting them in a, a situation to be successful uh, because throughout the year, they haven't showed times where they've been responsible to be able to kind of play on their own and make plays on their own. And I think a lot of that is because coach majority of my guys are in the 10th grade now. So they're mm-hmm. sophomores. So I, I'm envisioning two years from now when they're seniors, they've been in the program about three years now. I believe that they are the freedom will grow gradually as they grow because they will know the system more and then they'll be a little bit more mature um, as a basketball player. So, um, I but I, I like freedom, Coach, to be honest. I, I'm, I'm not a micromanage. I don't like to micromanage uh, people. Um, I, I expect kids or I expect people to do what you're supposed to do. I just, like one of my former coaches said, I expect you to do your job. So we work so hard and we drill so much on the program and the system as we learn it, freedom should take advantage of it because a lot of times if you got to stop it every time and you got to set it up every time, that comes a little bit more predictable, especially when you get in regional district play when people are scouting and scheming you every single game and then watching multiple films and played you multiple times. Mm-hmm. So the more you can have uh, player-led freedom or player leadership, that makes it so, so much better. And, and that's kind of why I've, I've been a fan of the Read and React Oh yeah, uh, offense because yep, yep. it's kind of like that. Um, we we've been trying to implement pieces of it here now this year, but we're going to get better at it. So, um, I like the freedom, coach. But right now, with, with my team being so young and it's our first year in the program, uh, we don't have as there's there's freedom. But I realized so early in the season we gave them too much freedom. Yeah, uh, we lost a, we lost a lot of close ball games that we should have won because. Um, I thought they were a little bit further along than they really were. And it's no no fault of their own. It's just a part of the growing yeah. process. It's a young young team, it sounds like too. Yes, sir. Yeah. And 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 maybe that's kind of like one of the 
the perfect balances of it, right? Is like maybe have have a set where there's a lot of different options and a set that kind of gives players freedom, but maybe there's still that like rough outline of, of some action to do. And that's kind of what a read and react, like you said, kind of allows you to do where it is, it's not really a set obviously, but you're, you, you have a structure in place, but within that structure, your players have a lot of choices and options to choose from kind of like something with like a dribble drive also that people run where it's there's freedom to it but there's also a structure that it's kind of contained in as well that's true coach and and that's what we've been working on this week and uh, hopefully my 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 opposing coaches in my district not listening but we've been working on now i hope they do listen it's a great podcast (laughs) uh but but what we've been doing is we've been working on what you said earlier coach and and i'm glad i'm talking to you um, we've been working on sets that moves the ball from one side of the floor to the other, but also has multiple layers within it. So they don't necessarily have the freedom per se, but it has freedom within the different layers of options to be able to make this. So I really like what you're thinking. That's what we've been working on just this week is just to have multiple layers to have them in a structure system. But if the layer of the offense where we're in now if it gives you an opportunity to use the freedom that's been taught then it's going to pay benefits to us so mm-hmm. i like how you're thinking coach that's kind of what we've been doing. <laughs> yeah and it and i think as we've kind of joked about a little bit at all it all sounds great on paper it sounds great yeah, it does. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> i can sound like the best coach in the world talking about yeah. it here but uh you know sometimes <laughs> sometimes it's and and i think that that's one of the things too that i think it's hard um, as a coach, obviously, to do, but I think uh, you have to, if you're going to give your players that sort of freedom or you're going to have that set where maybe they have a lot of options, you know, as a coach, you got to be okay with them making the wrong decision. And because That's I true. think that if you do that, you're going to learn a lot as a coach about your players and maybe why they made the decision that they did. And I think that that could be so valuable if they, you know, make a choice that ends up not being the right one. But if you kind of get their mentality or you kind of figure out why it is they made that decision and you can make that correction or make that change, I think in the long run, you know, taking that that loss or, you know, not doing well or executing in that one situation, the knowledge you can learn from that, I, I think might be really more beneficial in the long run, even if you got to you kind of give up or, or, or kind of not be as successful as you want in that one specific situation. That's true, Coach. I, I think that that's so important. Um, it's, it's, and that's the difference between, and we said it earlier, between winning basketball games and, and that's the difference between championship culture is everything you just said. I mean, and that's things that, that people know, but you really have to believe it wholeheartedly if you want to win. And championship basketball doesn't always mean you're going to hold a trophy up at the end of the year because winning, and people don't realize this, a lot of people don't realize this, and, and, the, and those who do it every day, winning is hard. Winning is is extremely hard, and mm-hmm. you may not always come out with the trophy, but if you can produce championship culture basketball, eventually you'll be able to achieve the goals that you have, and then eventually, um, nine times out of ten, you'll have an opportunity to be playing for that championship on, on whatever level that you are. But it has to start from what you said. You have to have that the mindset to implement those things daily. How do you work with your guys on mentally being ready to finish out a game? When I think about that, I kind of think of like having the composure, having the the focus, not letting the, you know, the close game get to them. Are there anything that, that you and your, your staff do to kind of get your guys mentally in the right frame of mind to kind of finish out these close ones? Uh, Coach Bridges and I, we, uh, we try, we try to start it in the summer, Coach. Mm-hmm. We, we try to go to some environments that are a little bit different from where we play. And we do that first to be able to give them the sense of, okay, this is a different environment a little bit because our environment, we're, we sort of kind of are in a, we're in, we're in a city, but sometimes it has a rural area. And sometimes we try to go to areas where, um, there's a lot of uh, basketball excitement. There's a lot of cheering. There's a lot of just uh, atmosphere where it's a little bit different from us. And so mentally in the summer, we try to start that to help them. Okay, this is this is the mindset that you have to have. This is the, the composure you have to have when you play in environments 
that are unfamiliar or some people mm -hmm. say a hostile environment. And then throughout the season, as we said earlier, through situation drills, we we, we put we make it mean something. If uh, you all are down by X amount of points, if you lose, you're on the line and you got extra sprints. So we implement those particular things on an everyday basis. And then also, too, we, we talk about those things every day and we help them throughout the, the year to learn how to be able to take those deep breaths, to be able to concentrate, to be able to think, to be able to know your system back and forth, which helps you win those games. And then earlier in the season, we try to go and we try to implement those in real life settings. We try to go to an environment that's unfamiliar with us. Uh, and we try to play against a good team where we know that it's probably going to go down to the wire. And so, if we can get those, accomplish those things, when we get to February, when the district tournament starts, we've kind of prepared our kids for that moment. But it, it's, it's tough, though. It's not a it's not a one day thing. It's not a one month thing. I just feel like we we, we can start it in June. Uh, we can take it all the way throughout the season. That, that helps them so, so much. And that, that's with us. Anytime you do something once and you mm. go back and do it again you get a little bit more familiar with it and then you get a little bit more comfortable with it. So that's one thing I keep reminding myself about my golf game. <laughs> I'm trying <laughs> to work on right. golf. Yeah. But the more, the more, the more I do, do it, I feel a little bit more comfortable. Yeah. Um, and so that's what we just try to do. We just try to create as many scenarios, situations that we can. So starts in the summer from summer lead and just kind of goes throughout and, and goes from there. And then let me ask you uh, just personally uh on a coaching standpoint uh what what is there anything that you've learned or had to do over the years to kind of i don't want to necessarily say keep your composure but you know make sure that you are as ready as you possibly can be as a coach at an at end of game situation what are some things that maybe you do or or maybe trust your staff or how do you how do you kind of manage you know, all the all the different things that are happening at the end of the game to make sure that you are, are the best coach that you can be for your guys at the at, at the end of a game? Coach, I think that's an amazing question, man. And that's why you're great at what you're doing. Because a lot of coaches, when they're starting off, don't look at themselves in the mirror a lot of times and say a lot of times, and not all the times, this is a very small percentage, the game can come down to the decision that you make as a coach and how well you handle that. And you said it earlier, when I first started coaching, uh, coach, I I don't know if I was the most composed that I should have been because uh, by my look and my face. Now, I was really composed, but other people thought, well, coach, you all right, you got it handled. And yeah. I've always was fine. But yeah. what I've just worked over time is maybe on how my body language looks. Because I'm, I'm very into the game, animated. But sometimes when the game is, is moving at its highest level, I just slow the game down in my mind. I slow the game down in my mind. I just take a deep breath. And when you do that, the game is not actually moving as fast as it appears to be. Uh, sometimes I have a seat sometime to collect myself. But even prior to that, Coach, what I do to do that, uh, I watch film. And I try to break down everything that's possibly going to happen leading up to that. Um, I do. We try to do a good job of learning everything that they run from offense to defense to baseline to sideline. And, of course, we have it on cards so we can see those things. So that helps bring a little peace. Um, number two, I, I, I like to be able to go to other basketball games. That's probably my number one hobby is going to other games. And I sit there, and when it's a pressure situation, I'm sitting there and I'm asking my assistant coach or I'm asking Justin, what would you do in this situation? And then he asks me, well, what would you do in that situation? So we're mentally preparing that way. Or when we are at home watching basketball games and it's the last 15, 20 seconds, I'm mentally preparing. I'm putting myself in that position. So every day I'm doing mental drills or basketball-wise to put myself in a position to be successful. And then in practice, I allow coach to get a team and I get a team, and we do our situation. So the players, they, they're doing their situation, but Coach and I, we're doing our situation, and we're competing against one another because he don't, mm -hmm. he doesn't want to lose, and I yeah, don't want to yeah, lose. Yeah. So we do all of those things just to prepare us, ourselves, for the moment. So I'm constantly thinking on what can I do in that situation, and that has helped me a lot 
But again, it takes a coach, and I'm glad you asked the question because I know some coaches listening and, and probably never consciously thought about that. But you got to put yourself in that situation. What are you going to do? Thirty seconds left, you down by five. What do you do in that situation? How do you handle that? How many timeouts? Who has the possession? Or who has fouls for them? Who has fouls for you? Do we have our best shooters on the floor? Do we have our best free throw shooters on there? Are, are we doing offense for defense, defense for offense? Those are multiple things you have to think about in a small window of time. So I'm glad that you asked the question, Coach, and that's something I work on. And I know that's going to help somebody, Coach, because I never thought about that when I first started coaching at all, Coach. Yeah, I mean, I've I've definitely had to learn the hard way. I know in some situations about taking myself, you know, and and really, like you said, kind of like look in the mirror and think like, am I doing the best that I can, or did I do the best that I could for you know my girls on on that game? Was I as ready as I could have been those last few minutes? What, what did something like catch me off guard? Was there something I wasn't prepared for, and why wasn't I prepared for it? Did I try and do like too much, or did I try and like you know make the moment seem bigger than it actually was? And I think that you know that that's one of those things where if you can do that self-reflection and maybe face some of those harsh truths about yourself as a coach and kind of get over your own ego. I think that mm -hmm. makes you so much better in the long run. But yeah, like, I mean, I, I, it's one of those things where you have to really be able to reflect on it and, and be able to, you know, own up to it. Maybe even tell your players, right? Like, Hey, like, you know, I wasn't as ready as, as I should have been for you. And, you know, I, I, I take ownership of that, but you know, I'm, I'm going to get better. And, you know, here's what I'm going to make sure that I do next time to make sure I put y'all in a better position to be successful. And I think your players would respect that if, if that's something that you do, uh, you know, say to them. Yeah, I think transparency is key, Coach. I, I think being vulnerable is is the best thing, and um, I do. I try to do it on an everyday basis. If I don't do something right, uh, I tell them. And then a lot of times, when I have nothing to do with it, I still take the blame for it. I just take ownership of it. But if it's something that I blatantly mess up, you know, I let them know, hey, we could have done this a little bit better. I got to be a little bit better. So hopefully it trickles down. And then when they say, hey, you know, I got to be reflective because we know sometimes our kids and a lot of it's defense mechanisms, something happens, they automatically deflect or they automatically use some type of mechanism to deter what they really did instead of taking ownership and responsibility. And I, I think there's something key that our kids need. Mm. in our world today i think it's a good i think it's a good way to you know set a good example by you know just taking you know taking ownership of it. and if they see that you uh, you know the coach who's at, at the top is willing to take ownership and apologize then i think for for a lot of your players it should hopefully put you know put their guard down a little bit and be like man if coaches apologize and own up to it then i then i know i can if i make a mistake that's true that is so true coach so before we wrap up, I, I did want to ask if you had any, um, you know, stories or any situations or any things that, that you've had about, you know, close games where, where you guys were able to pull it off and or any like situations you can think of where, you know, those things that we just talked about uh, during this conversation have kind of come together and and your guys were able to, you know, pull out a victory. Um, That's a very good. The first thing that kind of comes to my mind um, was able to win a, a district championship a couple of years in my previous school, Pittsburgh. Mm. And I and I think about that particular game, we were down two starters. And one thing that we were big on is is, is no one is, is bigger than a team. And a lot of our and, and it came to play that night. A lot of our kids, we we talked about it, we preached about it, about what we have to do and everybody's a part. And now when you come into the district championship game against a team that there's been known that's known for for you know winning it winning it all and and really kind of giving us difficult challenges and you have to play that game and we can reflect back on those things and we talk about hey we are down two starters but it doesn't change the the program doesn't change what we do is going to change those guys that we have invested mm -hmm. in already and and that's one thing that we try to do as 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 I would just kind of give a moment that others can learn from is just you have to be able to give some of your guys who are your reserve guys or the guys that come off the bench, you got to give them an opportunity to get some valuable minutes because the longer you coach, you're going to see it. You're going to need those guys at some moment. And that's the first thing that I emphasize. And one thing that I learned 
is that you have to get those guys ready and you have to tell them. And these and kids, they won't believe it. <laughs> I had a couple, I had a couple sophomores this year, and I've been telling them, I, I, I told them early in the year, I said, Hey, you got to get a little bit more focused. There's gonna be some time that we're gonna need you. Yeah. And and coach, and, and I didn't share this earlier, but right now, coach, our, our best scorer, uh, he tore his patella. So he's out. Uh, we had another guy uh, uh, break his uh, – he broke his ankle in the second game of the season. He's out. Now those guys that we've been saying from the beginning, now we need you. So I think it's so important that you prepare the guys on your bench to be able to play because in the season, someone's going to get sick, someone's going to get injured, someone's going to be in trouble. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. And now you hope it don't be on district championship night when we were out two starters, uh, but it can happen anytime and we have to be prepared for it. So you have to constantly keep preparing your your, your team, your, your eight to 10 guys to, to be very, very ready. Um, I think that's something that, that you can learn from uh, in that moment. Uh, another thing that is, that is big uh, that I think others can learn from is the relationships that you build uh, with people at your school uh, and surrounding communities. Because it's been a lot of time that those in the community, uh, those parents have helped a lot with just helping our kids and helping us be successful and being an encouragement. So uh, a lot of times as a coach, you, sometimes you kind of want to be standoffish a little bit because, again, you know, it's always going to be that parent, hey, can my son get a little bit more playing time? <laughs> boom, boom, boom. But um, you, it's a lot of majority of, of your personnel or your people who are supporters just really, really want to help. So it's so important that, that you make yourself available um, to them, like just showing up at different events, uh, at the school or showing up to different events in people's personal lives or just helping to having a helping hand. Those things that help your program so, so, so much. And it's replicated because they know if the head coach and a lot of times and people say this and I, I don't, I don't allow it to go to my head. When I first started coaching, I had to go to my head, but head coaches are rock stars. And, <laughs> and when a person can tell someone else in the community, hey, you know, coach came to this, or, you know, hey, coach helped me out. You know, I got coach on the number. Let me call him and ask him what time the game start. Or, hey, I got coach right here. He he just texts me. That goes a long way. And so I'm, I'm humbled that I have an opportunity to be able to to make a difference. And so those would be some things that, that I, I think are uh, moments where that helps you out a lot, though, coach. And, and I think it helps us out as coaches because we're human and, and people have to know we're human and, and we need uh, help and support just like uh, others that we try to coach um, mm -hmm. needs help and support. Yeah, no, I, I like that a lot. And even going back to, you know, your previous point that you mentioned, you talk about, uh, you know, guys getting injured or stuff like that, even in situations, you know, where, where foul trouble definitely happens too. And you never know which yeah, guys sure. you're going to have at the end of the game. And I think that, as you mentioned, right, getting everybody involved because, you know, games never really uh, necessarily end or or play out the way that we imagine in our head and having all your guys ready is, is going to be needed because, you know, I, I think that, we've all had situations, right. As coaches where we've had to go to our bench or go to guys that maybe not weren't necessarily the first option, but it was their time to step up and they need to be just as ready as anyone else. That's true. Though. And, and I speak from experience. I, I was that guy in high school and, mm -hmm. and I've just seen it. It, it, it makes a, a big, big difference. And, and key is a little bit more invested. You know, obviously everybody wants to play, but you know, it, you have to do it. And, and you have to say, you, you have to say your starters on that because a lot of times my starters would give me grief because they want to play a little bit more, get a little bit more on the average. And I say, you have to make a small sacrifice for the big sacrifice. So I fight that battle a little <laughs> bit at first, but when you can win that district championship and they can look onto their left and to their right and say, Hey, we won a championship without two starters. Uh, I kind of see what coach was saying. I still may not agree with it, but I'm yeah. glad two guys who were playing my minutes that I probably should have had kind of paying off right now. So uh, no, I like that. No, that that's good. Uh coach to wrap up, there's a couple of questions I ask every guest. And we'll go ahead and get started here with this first one. And that is um thinking back on your coaching career, what what is a moment from your coaching career that you think others listening would be able to learn from? I would say I would say probably the biggest thing that I learned, and I mentioned it earlier, is knowing the business of coaching. Mm. And, and what I mean by that is 
obviously there are going to be jobs that are going to be posted and because that's what she's supposed to do. But a lot of times those conversations are had prior before they're even posted. And as a young coach, you know, I, you know, me, I'm, I'm on the website searching. It was a head coaching job. And as I interview more and more and I sat in those interviews, I realized that before I got there, a lot of those jobs have already been um, assigned or taken by someone else. And so what I learned at a young, young, a young age after my first my first stop is that you have to build relationships. So when you go to other individuals, when you go to other gyms, uh, you want to get familiar with their administrators. You want to get familiar with their coaching staff. You want to build a relationship with other coaches so you can kind of be in the know, as they say. So you can always kind of know what's going on, what jobs are going to be available, and what relationships. And as I learned that, that's the, some, some of the same things they do in the business world. They're mm -hmm. constantly building relationships. They're constantly doing things outside of what normal people see. And that's why you see a lot of individuals grow because you just knowing the, the business side of it. And you and you have to kind of do that though. And you see it on a college level so many times. Anytime you see a new college coach hire, his first two or three days is pretty much business. He's meeting the boosters, he's doing radio, he's doing TV, he's doing base because you have to have the support of the people who are back in the program. And you also just kind of got to know some things. So I, I tell a lot of young coaches is, is understand the business of, of the basketball side of it. It's not always pretty. It's not always nice. Uh, I don't use the word fair, but some people do. It's not always fair. But if you consistently work hard, you consistently have good character, you consistently treat people right, and you just – Put the best brand of program for your program. Whatever job God has for you is going to be for you. But understand the business of it. Don't 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 take my approach of deer and headlights and just <laughs> sitting around waiting for a job to just magically appear. You got to do your groundwork. So that would be. I mean, I got multiple things, uh, mm -hmm. but that would be one thing that I would say that would be uh, something major to help, especially young coaches and even even some seasoned coaches. No, I, I like that a lot. I mean, there's a lot going on. On, on behind the scenes that you got to be be aware about and and you can't go in blind it's there's a lot of I think the more you get it more you learn from this coaching profession the more people you talk to and the more people interact with you're like oh man there there's all there's a lot happening here there's a lot of things <laughs> yes, going is. on and a lot of moving parts <laughs> here that when you first start coaching you had no idea you were just there to you know coach basketball but there, there's a lot more things <laughs> happening than that so no I I 100% agree with you there and then to wrap up coach I give every guest what I call 60 second soapbox but feel free to go longer if you want I'm not going to be timing you uh your platform to kind of get out like a final thought a, a final message kind of a closing idea just something that you want to leave the listeners with you can kind of take it any which direction you want so coach I'm just going to open up the floor and I'm just going to kind of let you take it from here so go for it well I appreciate it coach I first of all I just thank you for reaching out to me and um giving me an opportunity to kind of do this come something I kind of always wanted to do and hopefully I continue to maybe do something similar to this so I'm thankful for you and hopefully we can link up down the road I thought it was a great interview um never had a, a conversation before because as soon as I met you, man, it, it rolled like I've been knowing <laughs> you for years. So I'm excited. I'm excited about it. And, and I'm awesome. excited just to hear it. Uh, but I would just say, Coach, uh, I, I thought about that, what you were saying and what I want to say and how I want to say it. But I would say the biggest thing, Coach, that I would say, I would just love to see everybody just treat everybody just right, man. I You, you see so much, so much just pain and hurt and difficulties in the world i just always ask everybody we can just work on every day just treating people right uh no matter no matter where you come from where you are what you believe in i think at the end of the day if we can just practice on loving people that makes a big big difference and it makes the world such a better place i believe that love will take away some anxiety you see a lot of our kids have so much anxiety adults as well i think love takes care of the violence takes away the violence i think love makes, makes the world just a better place and so i know that's totally different from basketball but I, i'm just big on that though I, I just think if we could just take time to just get out of our way and we're going to disagree we're not always going to agree on everything but i could think if we could just just love the world just be so much better so it's it's weird to to see people get angry at people in traffic or people angry at the guy at the restaurant because they missed the order up or even angry at people that you love. I, I Love is just so, so key. And, and I don't always get it right. I'm not 
trust I'm nowhere near perfect. I get frustrated, angry a lot. But a lot of times when I reflect at the end of the night before I go to bed, I think I, I could have done that a little bit better or I could have spoke to that person a little bit better. Or I could have treated them a little bit better. And I just think that just that, that helps everything because it's a tough world out here. Everybody has something if it's from from paying bills, from health issues, to work on a job, working in marriage, um, dealing with kids every day, hmm. coaching other 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 uh, others' parents, being a parent for other parents, or yeah. dealing with your own kids, that makes it a challenge. So I just think love and makes a difference. And also, too, I think when you implement love, when the fans come to the game or parents come to the yeah. game, you'll give, co- you'll give coaches a break <laughs> because, like I said, Coaching looks easy. When you pay your X amount of dollars to come in the game, it is much easier to sit in that seat and be that coach and actually on that sideline making decisions. So I just asked my second thing, I just asked fans and from everywhere, all type of fans, basketball, hockey fans, football fans, be sensitive to the officials, be sensitive to the coaches because refereeing is tough. Trust me. I try to referee at practice and I get it wrong all the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so <laughs> I just think, yeah. I just think it's so have a little mercy and grace on officials and have some mercy and grace on coaches because I guarantee if we went to your job, you probably won't be doing everything perfect, perfect as well. But we don't get an opportunity to get there and yell at you and say how stupid you are. Uh, so again, let's just, I would say love people and and take it easy on the coaches and officials. Trust me, we're doing the best we can. I like that a lot. No, very well said and and something we could all use a reminder of, even if we try our best to do that. It never hurts to be reminded to uh, remember the human element of everything and that, you know, do do what's best for the guys and girls that we that we work with. I, I like that a lot. Uh, Coach, I want to thank you for spending some time talking about your program, kind of your coaching philosophy, and of course the opportunities to to win those close games and the things that you and your staff and your program do. Uh, sounds like you're doing some really awesome things out there, and and I think that uh, the work that you and your staff are doing are are going to create a lot of success for your guys, both on and off the court. So thank you so much, Coach. Appreciate it, and uh, best of luck going forward. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure too, Coach. Thank you man, so much. Please go out and support Coach. He's doing a good job. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. This was the Basketball Teacher Podcast, another episode. Thank you guys so much, and we will see you guys next time. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Make sure to connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, or reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Take care, be safe, and we'll see you next time.